Good morning. So, we're looking at the promises of God. Now, of course, the Bible is full of promises. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. Proverbs one thirty three. But all who listen to me will live in peace, untroubled by fear of harm. Psalm 103, verse 12. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. John 14, 27. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. Matthew 28. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I could go on all morning listing promise after promise after promise from the Bible and still wouldn't get through all the promises. But we're not looking at all the promises. Yes, we're looking at just the promises in just one chapter of just one book. We started the year looking at the whole Bible and we looked at how through the story of creation and fall and Israel and Jesus and the church, we saw that the whole Bible talked of draw near our theme for the year. And we moved on from that global view to see how through the life of Moses and through a a sort of a study at a slightly lower level looking at Exodus, we can find our four key themes for the year of raising expectations, breaking down barriers and mindsets, developing humility and purity and cultivating passion. But now... We're focusing in on just one chapter, taking six weeks to take a real A to Z street view, going through it almost line by line. And as we do this, we're looking at the promises contained within that chapter and how those promises can help us to overcome the barriers and mindsets that can prevent us from entering into the fullness of what God has for us. And what a great chapter it is to do. Now, 2 Timothy tells us that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. But Romans 8, if you're going to pick one chapter, it is definitely a real highlight. One of the commentators I've been reading and preparing for this morning talks about the fact that Romans is the Himalayas of the Bible, And Romans 8 is the Mount Everest within that. Another says that Romans 8 is the chapter that gives us the key to understanding how we can live a victorious life in Christ. Another commentator I read just simply said, Romans 8 is the best chapter in the Bible. There is so much in it that even spending six weeks looking at it, we're barely scratching the surface. Don't know how many of you had pancakes on Tuesday? Caleb had pancakes for breakfast, for lunch and for dinner. We were so keen on these pancakes. But with the start of Lent, I'm sure many of you will have given something up. But can I suggest that you take something up for Lent and read Romans 8 every day in Lent? There's so much in it that God can speak to you through. 
Anyway, let's have a look at what it's got to say. Last week, Josh started off with the first four verses. And we started with that wonderful verse, there is now no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus. Josh talked about the promise that we are free from guilt. And he talked about how we are transferred from sin to the spirit and how Christ has been substituted in our place. This week, we're looking at the next nine verses. And as we look at those, we're looking at the promise that we can be alive in the spirit. We'll see that it's not just a promise that we are free from guilt, but we are free from guilt so that we are free to be alive. As it says in John 10.10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what Paul's expanding on here and explaining what it means. So let's turn to verse 5, where we read, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Immediately, we can see that if we're looking at breaking down barriers and mindsets, this is the perfect chapter. In total, St. Paul uses the frame mindset or minds controlled five times during this reading. That is what he's talking about, how our minds are set on things, what we are thinking about and how that affects us. And what he's doing is comparing and contrasting the two different types of mindsets that people can have. The mindset on sinful nature, or the flesh, it says in some translations, versus the mindset on the spirit. To Paul, it's clear. There were two types of people in this world. Those with a mindset on the sinful nature and those with their mindset on the spirit. There is no middle ground. There is no 50-50. It's a real Marmite question, you might say. You have to be one or the other. There are those who have their minds set on the sinful nature, on what the flesh desires. And there are those who have their minds set on what the spirit desires. And this is the key difference. Paul is a little repetitive, as well as using mindset five times. He uses the the sinful nature or the flesh eight times in the reading. John Stott, the uh, theologian, puts it like this when he's explaining what Paul is talking about. He says, Paul means neither the soft muscular tissue which covers our bony skeleton, nor our bodily instincts and appetites, but rather the whole of our humanness, viewed as, un- viewed as corrupt and unredeemed, our fallen, egocentric human nature, or more briefly, the sin-dominated self, 
So when Paul says there were two types of people in this world, those set with their mind set on the sinful nature and those set with their mind set on the spirit, what he's saying is there are two types of people in the, this world. Those with their mind set on the things of God and those who don't. In other words, Christians and non-Christians. And when he says those who live according to the sinful nature, he's talking about all non-Christians in a positional sense, in that he's talking about the position that people take on this question, how they choose to live their lives. A literal translation of the Greek here could be those who have chosen to exist in a manner like that of the fallen world. And what happens to them? He says their minds become set upon the things of that fallen world. And then he compares them with those who choose to exist in a manner consistent with that of the Spirit. And they will have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Choose to live for the sinful nature and your mind becomes obsessed with the sinful things. Choose to live for God and your mind will become set on the things of God. You see, it all starts with that choice. Whether we've made it consciously or unconsciously, we choose to live one way or the other. We choose to live by the sinful nature or by the spirit. And that choice we make affects our minds, which affects our whole lives. In verse 6 then, Paul goes on to describe the consequences of this choice. When he says, the mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. When he says death, he's not talking about physical death. We can see that by contrast between death and life and peace. The Greeks actually have two words that we translate as life. One of these is bios, which is where we get the word biology from. And that does mean physical life. But that's not the word used here. The word used here is zoe. And that's more to do with the essence of life and the quality of life. And the fact that Paul uses this and the term peace here is a clue to the fact that he's not just talking about physical death. He's talking about death in the broadest possible terms. He's saying a life without peace can be a life of suffering, of pain, a life of trouble and hardship. 
It could be described as a dead-end life or a life worse than death. It's a life missing out on all the good things that God has in store for us. It's a life that's missing out on the very purpose of life itself, which is to live in relationship with God. That's what he means when he says it leads to death. It means we're missing out on life. And then in verses 7 and 8, Paul goes on to emphasise that neutrality is not a possibility. Those whose minds are set on the sinful nature, on the flesh, are hostile to God, he says. Because the sinful nature and the spirit are opposites. These people, they can't submit to the law, which means they can't live as God wants them to live. Because everything they do goes against God and what God wants for us. He says, ultimately, they can't please God. It's not just that they don't please God, they can't please God. Because pleasing God isn't about doing the right thing. It's not about being good enough. None of us is good enough. None of us is perfect. None of us can do everything it is that God wants us to. But that isn't what pleasing God is about. Pleasing God is about living according to the Spirit in relationship with him. So those who live according to the sinful nature have a mindset that leads to death. But having described those who live in that way, in verse 9, Paul then moves on to the other side to describe those who live according to the Spirit. And here he addresses the people in Rome directly when he says, You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And when he says that to the people in Rome, he's also saying it to us. If those who live according to the sinful nature have a mindset opposed to the spirit, are hostile to the spirit, who cannot please the spirit, that can't be the people he's talking to in Rome. Because he says they have the Spirit living within them. If you've got the Spirit living within, how can you be hostile to the Spirit if it's living within you? The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, he comes and he lives in them, is what he's saying. In verse 10, Paul says that the physical body will die, but that doesn't matter. Because while the bios life may end, the zoe life will go on. And in fact, it's the spirit that gives life to the body. And in verse 11, he says that in the same way, the spirit gave resurrection to the life of the body of Jesus. 
It's what gives life to those who live according to the Spirit. What makes us alive isn't a beating heart and lungs that breathe. What makes us alive is the Spirit of God living within us. Now, originally, verses 12 and 13 were going to be part of next week's reading. And if you look at them in our pew Bibles here, they kind of form part of the next paragraph. And so they kind of look separate. But Josh and I discussed this and we agreed that actually they belong with this bit that I'm talking about today rather than with next week's reading. Remember that when Paul wrote Romans, he didn't write it in chapters and paragraphs that we see today. He just wrote one long letter. And so he didn't create this division that we see with the new chapter. So we were able to say, yes, okay, we're going to put these two verses with what we're talking about today. And then when we do that, we see Paul calling us to action. Paul tells us how we need to respond to this. He says we are obliged to act. The word translated as obliged here is the word for somebody who is in debt and therefore is forced to do something to repay that debt, is forced into doing something. They have no choice. And Paul is saying that we are obliged, not by the sinful nature, but by the fact that the Spirit is living within us. We have no choice. We have to act. And in a reminder of Jesus' words in Matthew 10 and again in Matthew 16, when he said, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for me will find it. Paul tells us that we are obliged to put to death the misdeeds of our body. We have to stop doing those things that are contrary to the way that Christ would have us live. He's not telling us that we have to do it to earn our salvation. That is already freely given. Christ hung on the cross and said, it is finished. The work of salvation is done. We're not trying to be good enough. But that doesn't mean that we don't still have an obligation to try and live according to the Spirit. If the Spirit of God is living within us, we need to live according to that. So, nine verses from St Paul. But where is the promise that I talked about? The promise that we can be alive in the Spirit at first glance, it can appear that, that, that it's not a promise so much as, as a description of two different mindsets. And that's particularly the case in this translation because Paul, being repetitive, again, keeps on using the word if. If the Spirit of God is in you, 
if Christ is in you. If, if, if. Six times he uses the word if in this translation. And it can make us question, well, is Paul questioning whether or not they actually are? It can make it seem as if he's wondering, well, maybe they are, maybe they aren't. But that's not what Paul's saying when he says if. And in fact, some other translations really help us to make this clear. The NRSV uses the word since instead of if and says since the Spirit of God dwells in you. The New Living Translation simply says, but you are not controlled by sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit. There is no question about it. This is a promise that Paul is making. Those who live according to the Spirit, that's Christians, like those in Rome, like us here today, the Spirit does dwell in us. The life according to sinful nature, the mindset that it brings, the hostility to God that it brings, the death that it brings. It's all gone. He is describing the life of non-Christians, what it's like for them, for information purposes only, not because he's unsure about if they are Christians or not. He's saying, since you became a Christian, The Spirit lives in you. The Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living within you, is working within you, is changing your mindset, is changing your life, is helping you to live life to the full. We're not perfect yet. We still get things wrong. We need to keep working. We need to keep on trying to fill ourselves more and more with God and live the life that he would have us live. But we have this promise that the spirit of God, the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of of the Most High, the Creator, the King of Kings, the Spirit of life itself is living within us and working within us. If you sat there this morning and you've not become a Christian, if you've not decided to choose to live according to the Spirit, then all you need to do is make that choice. And you too will have the Spirit living in you. But if you have made that choice, and I suspect most of us have here, if we were hostile to God, why would we be sat here? If you've made that choice, then the Spirit of God is there, living in you. 
It may not always feel like it, but it is always true. You have that promise that the Spirit of God will come and live within you. Our theme for the year is draw near. How much nearer can you be than the Spirit living in you? You can't get any nearer than that. Living within you. Changing your mindset. Changing your thinking. Ending hostility. Helping us to live as the law sets out. Changing us from death to life. God is living in us. That's quite some promise. That's quite some life to live. Amen.